Well, greetings. Welcome. <laughs> I just now looked over and Rich says, lost the intro again. I don't know what any of that means. I was sitting there going, shouldn't we be hearing music by now? And uh, I heard music before, but he's not here. So uh, somehow I'm, I'm going to assume that that also means we probably won't have any outro either. So it's just... Uh, we're professionals here. I just want you to understand. I, actually, I was sitting here looking at a video on uh, Twitter. There were two things. We have theological things to talk about today, but it, it, it's not that I'm not aware of what's happening in the world, um, the amazing things. There is a massive, record-breaking caravan, just an invasion force, um, moving toward the border. Um and they will be, of course, let in. And this is the amazing part. Um, the regime in the United States of America right now, for those of you outside the United States, I, I, I'd imagine most of you in Europe uh, probably do understand this because you're experiencing similar things. Um, but for, for people elsewhere, you need to understand the regime. We don't, I don't call it administration. Administration administers law. That's why... From one administration to the next, there's consistency, at least there's supposed to be, in our form of government here. Um, this is a regime. Uh, it's a lawless regime. And it doesn't care about the Constitution, wants the Constitution gone, and is working diligently, day and night, uh, to get rid of the Constitution. Despite the fact they put their hands up, they probably put their hands on a stack of, you know, homosexual books or something like that, which is what we literally have people in the United States doing that, right? Instead of putting their hand on the Bible, swearing to... Uh, to do their 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 duty, we now have people using gay porn. That's how that's how bad things are in in the United States. Um, oh, for and, and for school board members, that's the that's the winning part. Um, I, I I what do you say? What what do you say to that level of evil, that level of depravity, that level of disgusting perversity? Um, but our regime hates constitution, trying to get rid of it. And obviously, it's it's constitutional requirement for the president and those in charge to protect the borders. Uh, and uh, they won't. Uh, they've opened the borders up. We've been invaded by millions of military-age young men from all over the world. And uh, it's all purposeful. It's all intentional. And the thing you need to understand is the regime hates American citizens, um, but loves these folks. And so they will uh, provide them with flights, free flights. You can now fly in the United States and have as valid identification your arrest warrant, your bench warrant appearance for being an illegal alien. That's now good enough. You're considered safe to fly. I, I, what can you even say? What can you say? It's just a mockery any longer. And no nation can survive it. Um, so I I'm just watching this right now. Um, and meanwhile, at the same time, uh, in a couple days, California, uh, the, the brilliant, um, no, the, the, the communist uh, traitors um, in the legislature of the state of California have passed a law that uh, places like Target and Walmart, does Sears still exist? I don't know. Um, that in the toy section, 
You want you want to know how bad the nanny state is in the toy section? You can't have a boy's aisle or a girl's aisle anymore. So you know when I had kids, um, or even more recently when I would take the grandkids to uh, to a store um, to get them something, um, you could take the girls to one aisle and there's going to be the Barbies and, you know, all the rest of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you take the the granddaughters to that one and the grandsons, you go over to the GI Joe section, uh, in another aisle. And, uh, that's, that's not legal anymore in, in California. They all have to be mixed together, uh, because of equity and diversity and inclusion and, and all this other utter depravity and insanity. Uh, that is now considered the uh, the good in in the nation. So I, it's not that I don't know these things are happening, and I, and I do feel I I do feel that um, <sighs> strain. Um, there there's a part of me that goes, why are we talking about anything other than the fact that our society is on the brink of collapse? This is going to bring chaos in our within our own nation, and that will bring chaos around the world, which will then result in a cry for uh, minimal not not for freedom, not for liberty, but just enough food to get by, um, and that will result in the tyranny that the World Economic Forum and all these other organizations. I've been working toward for decades now. Um, uh, unless there is just a massive major intervention from on high, because that's the only thing that can stop this from happening. And so you look at that and you go, so why talk about almost anything else? And I have to keep reminding myself, um, let's say that's what happens. Everybody goes, you're supposed to be a post-millennialist. You're supposed to be optimistic all the time. You don't understand post-millennialism. But vast majority of people who criticize it don't. I get it. I, I understand. I, I feel sorry for you. I tried to explain it to you. <coughs> we may be going into a real dark period of time. <coughs> but these... What, what, what I have to keep in mind is Romans 1 remains true. It is one of the greatest examples of inspiration in all the Bible. And what it means is that sinners may get together and cooperate together to create evil systems. But they can't keep those evil systems together for one obvious reason. They live in God's world. And they may cooperate together for a while, but they'll turn on each other eventually. And it'll all come tumbling down. And when it does, um, God's people need to be there. Having experienced persecution and suffering, along with everybody else, um, to shine the light, point the way. You know, that's why when some people say, yeah, <clears throat> we see it's coming, so you got to get out of the cities. I'm like, um, where, where does the church need to be? Everywhere, but including the cities. 
Um, and, and, you know, I know that food will be used as a means to try to get people to compromise. And we all could be on a real crash diet in the not too distant future, the way the, um, the progressives, the communists are attacking farming and, and things like that. Um, and it really seems like 2030 is the big, the big goal, doesn't it? It, it does, it does seem that way, but we can't, um, we can't stop talking about the truth uh, just because we're concerned about what the future holds. And um, so, yeah, I'm where all that stuff's going on out there. And uh, 2024 is going to be an amazing, amazing year. Um, we have to make, I, th- I personally have to make a decision right now. It's going to be an amazing year to celebrate God's grace, no matter what ends up happening. Because the it just seems to me, and I I, I said back at late 2019, I, I said 2020 is going to, I just have a feeling, and I'm hearing a lot of other people saying the same thing. I remember this. Uh, and this was before COVID. Um, I, I just said there's going to, I just have a feeling this is going to be an amazing year, and it's going to have some real unique challenges to it. I wasn't trying to be prophetic. Um, it certainly turned out that way. But as we look at 2024, the real, the real question is, the question I have to ask myself is, am, am I prepared to give thanks in the midst of whatever circumstances um, I find myself in? Um, and I can I can imagine some really challenging circumstances, some really challenging circumstances in that time period. I really can. I we have seen from the uh, Colorado Supreme Court. Now, right now, my gut feeling is that's going to get absolutely blown out of the Supreme Court, but that's just for now. We, we are two Supreme Court judges away from the end of the Constitution of the United States. Can we be honest about that? Um, the level of election interference by uh, judges and courts, um, the, uh, I, was, I saw this morning the, the group that brought the suit in Colorado, funded by George Soros, the greatest enemy of the United States that's, that's ever existed. Um... Every single person who's ever taken a dime from George Soros should be completely precluded from holding public office in the United States. That's just, there's no question about that. They're traitors. They're traitors. Um, treason is a, is a bad thing, and it's, it's now the soup du jour uh, in Congress and, and every place else um, as well. Anyway, uh, am, am, I, am I prepared to be thankful and content no matter what the situation, no matter what the context we're facing, we're going to see election interference. We're going to see, uh, it, it, it's going to be absolutely an amazing, an amazing thing. I don't know that anything resembling the United States of America, uh, will exist in 2025. I really don't. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But, as Christians, we are called to be faithful 
in whatever context we're placed in. We have brothers and sisters living in, in extreme poverty and extreme repression all around the world. And we think that if we have to go through that, then that must mean the end of the world, <laughs> right? Because we're God's chosen nation and all the rest of this foolishness. And uh, one thing I, I do hope to see, to be perfectly honest with you, this, I don't know what to call it, because I certainly see a huge difference between <clears throat> the theological discussions of quote-unquote Christian nationalism and these wacky, wild, strange, uh, General Flynn, uh, loony bin con conferences and conventions and stuff. It's just, oh, I, I, yeah, that, that kind of stuff can uh, jump off the cliff as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's wild and crazy stuff. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of weirdness going on uh, out there. And um, it is... Um, it is pretty amazing uh, to, to think about it. All right. Um, so, where are we today? Um, where was I going to start? I that stuff on Twitter uh, threw me threw me for a loop. I'm afraid. Uh, let me let me see if I can find this real quick. Um, yeah, I've wanted to do this for a while. <clears throat> By the way, just, just before I start that, Algo. Uh, President Trump's, Jenna Ellis, President Trump's former attorney who's now turned on him and all that weird stuff has happened. Uh, I did the Q&A with her. Um, I think it was last year, maybe been the year before that. Anyway, um, she posted a picture on Twitter that she was reading Kenneth Wilson's book. Now, don't worry, not going to go there. Uh there are some people I think who, who, who run screaming in the night as soon as you say that name, because we spent so long and we never even finished it because perfect, perfect honest with you. We started that at the beginning of COVID and then we started figuring out, Hey, wait, there's weird stuff going on here. And that sort of pushed that off the back burner. And it stayed there. A lot of people were like, okay, we've, we're up to about 14 hours now on that. That's that's enough. Uh, we 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 get it. We're we're gonna move on from here. But the funny thing was, um, Algo posted a link to one of the many 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 programs we did in uh, the spring of 2020 on Kenneth Wilson and his book books. Uh, there's the small little book, and then did numerous interviews with uh, Leighton Flowers. And then his dissertation. And she posted a picture of the little book. And it's funny because when we first started responding to this stuff, all we had was that little book and the couple of the interviews. And then they're like, well, you need to read the dissertation. And I'm like, so his little book is inaccurate, but his dissertation's accurate? Or that, you know? And so Algo posted the link to one of those programs. And I, I went ahead and listened to it this morning. I normally don't do that. I put it on high speed and and uh, listen to it and um, man we really went into depth on all that stuff and it was the one where I had caught uh, Leighton Flowers misciting um, Clement uh, Clement's letter to the Corinthians if it's even Clement again it's the church 
Rome to the church at Corinth. And he had come up with this fake quote from a different book from centuries later, but says here it's in the first century and blah, 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 blah. And it, it was... It's pretty amazing to think back on that um, that time period that, that we that we went that deeply into all this stuff, <clears throat> um, and you might want to track it down. It was uh, I th- do we have did we put a playlist together? Um, I, I don't I don't I don't know um, if if we put a playlist together of all that stuff. I I think Chris put one together because uh, Chris did a bunch of stuff too. But you might want to track it down. It's still well, well worth listening to. <clears throat> I have seen uh, over uh, the past, um, what, two months now? It's been about two months. Maybe a little bit more than that. A really troubling trend. You know, we we started, people learned how to use these AI bots to generate graphics. I haven't figured out how to do that. Um, I am only now beginning to use an AI assistant, um, which, interestingly enough, confesses its ignorance of most things theological. Um, I've actually had conversations with it where I've mentioned my uh, background and training and provide it with answers that it couldn't provide otherwise and it was it was thankful <laughs> i don't know whether that actually adds anything to it or not but uh <clears throat> as far as theological stuff it's other stuff it's great it is amazing uh if i want to know i want to know i want to double check exactly how many gallons in my fresh water tank how many uh, on my rv how many gallons and boom just just right there. So much faster than Googling it or something like that. Anyway, um, these AI-generated graphics of these you know, knights and riding horses doing all this Christian nationalism stuff. And then all of a sudden, they started showing up as crusaders. And they've got a big old cross on their chest. And all of a sudden, the crusades were a, a defense of everything that was good in Western culture, and I'm just sitting here going, oh, really? Okay. And so, you know what? I'd like to spend a little time today um, reminding us of what those 200 years, about 1099 to to 1300, approximately. Um, About 200 years, about two centuries. The thing about that, two centuries of crusades, of military expeditions, religio, religio religio-economic military um, invasions of the Middle East, um, which had once been Christian lands and were invaded uh, during the century of Muslim expansion between 632 and 732. Uh, what was that really all about? I, a lot of people don't know. We've seen movies. You've seen movies about a certain period, time period. Almost every movie is meant to be 
you know, insert all sorts of romantic stuff and things like that. Um, the Crusades ostensibly were to win back lands lost to the Muslims. Uh, especially in Palestine, but also in Spain and France. Because remember, after the Muslims expanded across North Africa, they crossed into Spain, and then in 732, Battle of Tours is when Charles Martel stopped the Muslim expansion, and so it was pushing them back out of Europe on that side as well. Um... And so, the, the background is that the Seljuk Turks uh, invaded Palestine and attacked pilgrims that were going to um, the Holy Land on pilgrimages. And so, uh, Pope Gregory in 1074, now, now realize, the, the papacy is just recovering from what's called the pornocracy. Um, a period of time at the end of the first millennium um, of utter degradation of the, the papal offices, bought and sold, the Vatican was a brothel. Um, it, was, it was bad. Um, and so the, the papacy is actually expanding and growing in power at this time in the West. Um, in the East, Constantinople has been holding out against Muslim pressure for centuries. Uh, Modern-day Istanbul. And the Byzantine Empire has been contracting during this time period. Um, Emperor Alexius from the East uh, appealed to Pope Urban. The, the, the papacy was one of the most um, centralizing, organizing structures in the West at this point in time. Um, don't have time to go into all the developments there. It continued to be very unsettled for a very long period of time. Um... There was, um, you know, Pope Urban, like I said, uh, 1095, the, the first appeal comes from the East. There was a European famine going on at this point in time. Um, in the first crusade, anyways, most of the crusaders came from the upper classes. Um, feudalism was in full force at this point in the West. But there was a desire for trade, uh, for silk, pepper, cinnamon. And having the Muslims in the way wasn't a good thing. And so there was a economic element to the Crusades. And to be honest, um, there was just a, a desire for adventure. I mean, during this time period, the average person born in Europe never went more than seven miles any one direction from where they were born. Made for a very small world. So the lure of faraway exotic places uh, with possible booty 
and uh, you know economic advantage. You can see the the attraction. So the first crusade uh, begins in 1099 under Pope Urban. Uh, people were spurred on to join this crusade uh, by the preaching of such notables as Peter the Hermit and Walter the Penniless. Uh, the journey was long, fighting Turks all the way. They arrived in Constantinople in 1097 um, and in Jerusalem in 1099. So 1099 was when they get there. Um, they established the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, which lasted until 1187. So the First Crusade was relatively successful. Uh, politically speaking. Um, though the kingdom that was set up there was a medieval feudal kingdom. What else could it be? You wouldn't expect it to be some kind of modern democracy or something like that. The uh, Second Crusade failed miserably. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux was involved in getting it organized, but it became involved in many petty wars and Finally, uh, an ambush in the gardens of Damascus in 1147. Um, and that tarnished how people viewed things. The King's Crusade began in 1189 and ended in 1192. Is led by Philip Augustus of France, Richard the Lionheart of England, and Frederick Barbarossa, the Emperor the crusade was plagued by problems. Uh, Philip took his army home. Barbarossa fell off his horse and drowned in his armor. That that makes sense when you think about it. Um, armor, yeah, that would not be good to try to swim in. Um, they kept going under Richard the Lionheart. Uh, they got within sight of Jerusalem, but only got concessions from the Muslim leader. Um... The Fourth Crusade used the idea of sailing to Egypt rather than fighting through all the land routes. Um, it was good strategy, but poor economics. Uh, they got to Venice, but not to Egypt. The city-state of Zara was causing Venice a problem. The Venetians promised that the Crusaders would take Zara. They would take them to Egypt. The Crusaders said okay and did. Uh, since they were in the neighborhood, however, and this is very, very important, they decide to sack Constantinople, too. Now, this was the West committing suicide uh, in many ways. Um, there has been a lot of discussion as to how long Constantinople would have held out uh, had the Crusaders not sacked Constantinople. Um, it's one thing to have to fight the Muslims on one side, but then to have the Christians come from the other side. And, um, that was... Tragic, and had tragic consequences down the road. Then you, then you had the Children's Crusade, which was made up of boys 18 and younger, led by uh, Stephen and Nicholas. Uh, they felt the other Crusades had failed due to spiritual impurity. Well, there's certainly a level of truthfulness to them. 
in Genoa, they thought the Mediterranean would part for them so they could just simply walk. Um, they were offered three ships for transport. Two disappeared, the third went to Egypt and sold them into slavery. So the children's crusade ended with all the children um, sold into slavery. Um, so by 1291, all of the states along the way that had been established by the crusaders had collapsed. Um, and there, now there, don't, don't get me wrong. There are fascinating, um, results within Europe because, um, many of the knights and lords were lost in the battles that weakened feudalism back in Europe itself. Um, a, a new class was born, uh, a middle class had the opportunity to develop as, as a result. Because when you put this together with what happens uh, between 1347 and 1351, known as the Black Death, where in some cities 75% of the people died, um, probably 40% of Europe died uh, during that time period. Um, all of a sudden, if you survived and you had almost any working skills, you were in demand. And they, it's interesting that the people with the land tried to pass laws that you couldn't charge more than you used to charge, but it didn't work that way. Um, but the Crusades, the plagues, um, these all were important in creating a middle class and hence uh, universities had been founded, began to thrive and expand. And all this led up to Renaissance, Renaissance very important in the Reformation, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a fascinating area. But the real issue is, you know, I, I remember... Um, few people back 15 20 years ago were trying to say you know we we just have a we just have a bad idea about the crusades uh the crusades were a lot more important a lot better than we thought they were and you you don't have to it it, it is interesting the the muslims did not view the Crusades, the way the politically correct people, excuse me, view them today. Um, the Muslims viewed them as military. Um, if if anything, they respected the Crusaders on a military level because you know it's military versus military. Um, this idea of being offended by them um, is a modern is a modern thing. Uh, that's, you know, snowflakes today uh, in, in that sense. But it's true that the popes promised, uh, you know, where if you were wearing the cross on your armor and you died, plenary indulgence, uh, straight, into, straight into glory, you know, boom, there you go. Um, this kind of crass... Um, promise of God's forgiveness uh, if if you you know there's nothing there's nothing about 
actual personal conversion and you know the gospel didn't have anything to do with this um but there have been people who've who've tried to present the crusades as some kind of uh, glorious thing and and so when i'm seeing <clears throat> literally <coughs> christian nationalists of whatever whatever that means uh whatever stripe there's um portraying themselves with AI developed biceps and everything else. Um, and now they're six foot seven and as if as crusaders, I, I'm, I'm just left going, you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to live long enough, but if I do, um, I'm going to, I'm going to see these guys, 20 years from now, uh, going, can you believe we did that? And at least I'll be able to go, I tried to warn you, but y'all just, you old people, you're, you're discouraging young people from being manly. And I'm just like, I'm sure Barbarossa was very manly right up to the point where he fell off his horse and drowned in the river. Um, <clears throat> we have a different way of defining manliness, I think, um, at that particular point uh, in time. Um, from, from a simple gospel perspective, how do, you, how do you square the teachings of Christ with the Pope getting people to go to war um, and, and please don't, don't tell me that these were good Christian soldiers. <laughs> they sacked Constantinople for crying out loud. Um, the vast majority of the, of the motivation had nothing to do with the glory of Christ or anything else, please. Um, it was self-aggrandizement, adventure, riches, and we're bored to death here in Europe. Um, had a lot to do with the vast majority of it. <clears throat> so, I'm not sure how you program any of that into the AI bots uh, that are generating these graphics, um, but <clears throat> there you go. I just thought I would I would mention that. Um, Yeah. Uh, the immigration, the absolute unlimited immigration, and then everything that goes with it, itty-bitty sanctuary cities. Yeah, that's that's what's coming. That's what's coming. It is truly an amazing thing. <laughs> okay, stop looking at Twitter. Um, so many things that uh, come... Screaming by. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, I saw a tweet from a Reformed Baptist. Now, <clears throat> I clicked on his, well, I clicked on his um, 
ID again from another account because he's blocked me. So he he likes to make public comments about me, um, but having blocked me in the in the process, <clears throat> which I think is <clears throat> somewhat questionable. But anyway, Paul Hess is his name. Paul Hess Mats M A T S. I believe that's a master of arts in what theological studies. I think something like that from Southern the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, Paul has been uh, one of my vociferous critics. He says he's a uh, confessional uh, Reformed Baptist. Yay. Um, and I saw a tweet that said from him, uh, someone better tell Douglas Wilson, Owen Strand, and James White what the second Helvetic Confession says about their views. And then used a Kindle quote. We also condemn all heresies and heretics who teach that the Son and Holy Ghost are God in name only. And also there is something created and subservient or subordinate to another in the Trinity. And that there is something unequal in it, a greater or a less, something corporeal or corporeally conceived, something different with respect to character or will, something mixed or solitary, as if the Son and Holy Spirit were the affections and properties of one God, the Father, as the Monarchians, Novationists, Praxias, Patropassions, <coughs> Sibelius, Paul of Samosota, Aetis, Macedonius, Anthropomorphites, Arius, and such like have thought. <clears throat> so, evidently, uh, this is aimed at <clears throat> some conversations recently that Doug Wilson has had um, in regards to uh, submission. And I don't know if this is something new, because we had a discussion on the Trinity, and I don't remember Doug saying those things in our discussion, but maybe it's something that's happened since then. I don't know. Um, of course, Owen Strand and the ERAS position that uh, he has enunciated uh, over the years, uh, along with his uh, father-in-law, Bruce Ware. <clears throat> and... I pointed out at one briefly, I said, I, I, you know, both Owen and Doug know that I don't hold those positions. So I'm, I'm wondering what Paul Hess is lying about now, because when you look at what is quoted here, uh, as if the son and Holy spirit were the affections and properties of one God, the father, as the monarchians, novations, praxis, patropassions, Sabalians. And I go, you know, I, I can think back over meeting over the past 40 years, but especially over the past 20, I mean, because, you know, the ministry was rather small at first. But I have met many former Jehovah's Witnesses who love the Trinity today. Um, and it was our debates and our teaching that was used to get them out of that Arianism. Some of those precious 
conversations I've had up in Utah have been with families, individuals who were once polytheists and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and who today confess there is only one true and eternal God, are Orthodox Trinitarians and involved in good churches and once again, <coughs> excuse me, um, it was Alpha and Omega Ministries and in Utah these days, um, it's very, very common, I just can't tell you how many times, and Jeff will say the same thing, where we go up there and it was uh, Jeff Durbin, James White, Paul Legia, Alpha and Omega, that was central in bringing them to that saving faith. Um, we have a, a deacon in our church, solid, rock solid guy, just um, heart as as big as a house and just a servant, which is what a deacon is supposed to be. And uh, it was my debate with Elder Akah that started him in his journey out of the black Hebrew Israelites. And there have been many others. <clears throat> when I go back to St. Charles, which is right near St. Louis, which is where the headquarters of the UPCI is, uh, United Pentecostal Church International. Again, um, over the years, person after person after person led out of uh, monarchianism, novationism, praxianism, patripassionism, Sibelianism, etc., etc. And uh, how were they led out? Ministry of this, <clears throat> this program and the debates that we've done, um, all sorts of things like that. And then, um, always a, a just heartwarming experience to talk to Muslims, former Muslims, who have come out of Islam and have come to embrace the truth about who Jesus Christ is and <clears throat> our role in um, bringing that about. I don't know what Paul Hess does. Um, I, I don't know what his ministry is. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm. We were going to do the program yesterday, but as you can see, I'm 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 feeling better, but I'm not not over this stuff yet. And after 45 minutes of talking, it starts uh, getting really ticklish down there. <coughs> anyway. I don't know what Paul Hess does, and I don't know what ministry is his, um, but in all my years of doing apologetics, I've never heard of him. I've never seen anything he's written that would even begin to bring people out of these movements. Um, and so I just really wonder about a kind of, quote, confessionalism, end quote, that produces, first of all, a, a complete um, lack of concern as to whether what you're saying is even true. Let alone, does it have integrity? Is it gracious? Is it, does it need to be said? Any of these things like that. I, wh whatever 
produces that attitude is not an, it's not something that we should be promoting. Um, so he also he pinned this um, this uh, one here. <clears throat> quote, "If the Reformed Baptist world were as confessional as it ought to be, the errors of people like James White, Canonicism, Owen Strand, Eras, and Jeff Johnson, theistic mutualism, wouldn't get the time of day. We desperately need a revival of genuine confessionalism. Now, <clears throat> um, I'm not sure how many times we have to address this. <clears throat> but since more and more people are repeating it, it it's... It's so sad when I encounter this situation where <clears throat> I'll be speaking somewhere and someone say, you know, uh, I heard you were coming and I wanted to see if, if maybe we could have you come to our church. But one of our elders said that you're not Orthodox on the Trinity. And so we wouldn't have you. And normally what they say is, is, is one of our elders said that, that you believe in eternal functional subordination and so we wouldn't have you. And it's just like, <sighs> lies that are repeated over and over and over again take on a life of their own. And I wish I could just simply once say, this is a lie, here's why it's a lie, and then never have to worry about it again. But it doesn't work that way. I mean, most of the people in our society are already forgetting about what was done to us in 2020 and 2021. Um, I reposted that, a video, and there's a number of them out there, but <clears throat> I reposted a video yesterday of all of these MSNBC, CNN, leftist media types that were blaming everything on the unvaccinated and how we need to have mandatory vaccination and uh, Howard Stern and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all these people. And people are already forgetting that they were threatening your jobs. We're already forgetting how many young people have had their lives ruined, how many early deaths. Um, and and it's it's almost becoming like a daily thing where new revelations are, are coming out about what certain pharmaceutical companies did um, during that time period and the things they hid and the data which wasn't available to where we just, we don't even hardly think about it anymore. It's, it's amazing how fast we forget. And if we do it with stuff like that, then I may correct these lies and these slanders but six months later, who remembers? Um, other than Algo. Um, Algo remembers. Um, but not too many people ask Algo. Um, and so, it is a, it's a sad thing to have to correct these things over and over and over again. Especially, it's one thing 
when the Mormons repeat lies about you, or when the King James onlyists repeat lies about you, or 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 stuff like that. That that's one thing. <clears throat> These are lies being repeated by the TRs, the truly well. There's TRs and TRBs. Uh, the TRs, the truly reformed folks. They're they're the ones that. You know, they they cross every T, they dot every I in the in the exact same way of their favorite frame framer of the Westminster Confession of Faith. You know, they they found a personal letter he wrote, and so they they even write the same way that their <clears throat> their heroes did, okay? You know who I'm talking about? I mean, there are the truly reformed. Oh, by the way. <clears throat> I was going to start with this. Um, let, let me just throw this in here just in front of it and then run. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to run. Uh, I'm going to run out of the studio and <clears throat> Algo is in the chat. I don't even, I don't even know how to get into a chat. This is amazing. I guess we have a chat somewhere. I don't know where it is. No one's ever told me where it is, how to access it. Nothing. Got no idea. But we have a chat, and so I'm told that, yeah, it's in X. Great. That doesn't help me one little bit. I have no idea where it is. Never seen it. Might be worthwhile for, for me to see it, but then again, it would probably distract me anyways. Um, <clears throat> but um, Archbishop Bancroft when he was a canon of Westminster Abbey, took Calvin's side against the somewhat peculiar extremes that were developing among English Puritans. I, this is a quotation from a dear friend of mine on Facebook. I previously mentioned the Puritan hostility to Christmas and Easter, but there were other things. By the way, let me back up. The previous comment was how in Calvin's Geneva, they celebrated Christmas and Easter, and Calvin defended the celebration, not with debauchery or drinking or all the rest of that stuff, um, but he felt that the uh, theological realities behind those those days um, should be celebrated in the church. Okay, in the church. <clears throat> so Bancroft wrote. And that you may perceive what great difference there is betwixt our men's spirits and Master Calvin's, their outrage and his modesty, their rashness, ignorance, and giddiness, and his sobriety, learning, and judgment. But it may peradventure be said that, howsoever Calvin did carry himself in this cause, yet Beza is of another opinion. Indeed, he is so, but it turneth more and more daily to his own discredit. He succeeded Master Calvin in place, but neither in his learning nor in all his virtues. There seems to have been a, and that's the end of the quote, back to my friend, there seems to have been a puzzling strain of quirky extremism among English and Scottish Puritans that isolated them from Calvin and the continental reform tradition. <clears throat> it just, um, <clears throat> it, it, it always makes me smile a little bit when you get the TRs, but they are focused upon just a very narrow segment. And, and they, they're using a lens that they're using to interpret things 
they just maybe not aren't even aware of it. And then you have the TRBs, the truly reformed Baptists. So these are the strict confessionalists. And once again, crossed T's, dotted I's, um, you know, there's a certain number of books. You you have to have read these. You you've got to read Nehemiah Cox and you've got to memorize things related to it and everything else. And <clears throat> so it, it seems that Paul Hess is one of these, even though he went to a Southern Baptist school, is one of the 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 true the truly confessional ones. So if the Reformed Baptist world were as confessional as it ought to be, which means as as confessional as I am. <laughs> that's, that's, that, when you run into one of these TRBs, that's what they mean. They're the standard. Um, and, and this is, this is what is, is going to be the problem. Because you'll always run into someone who's going to be more than you. Um, it, it always ends up resulting in division. And the, the, most of the Presbyterians have figured this out. That's why they allow for, they, they, they've recognized, you, you simply, there were differences of opinion amongst the framers at the Westminster, that wrote the Westminster Confession. And so there has to be some level of freedom in the interpretation of what they wrote because there were differences amongst the, the, the authors to begin with. Um, evidently, the TRBs are going the opposite direction. Um, the, the, the TRBs are saying, we are going to dig into every last iota of documentation we can find from the people we can theorize, because there's questions, were involved in the writing of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And we instead of broadening our base and emphasizing the central aspects of the confession in a day where those are the things that are under attack, we are going to narrow our base down as much as possible. And we are going to demand strip, strict subscriptionism. And we're going to become as brittle as we can be. And everyone's going to have to look and think exactly like. It's just the way it's going to have to be. Or you're out. You are. We don't want you. And um, there's not going to be a good end to that. There is, there is not going to be a good end to this, this movement, this TRB movement. So let me... Right now, clearly, once again, here at the on, on the at the end of our um oh, hold on a second. Ask Algo. Algo remembers a lot. Algo remembers. He does indeed. That's what I hear. Okay. Well, all right. Um <coughs> So it's uh, broadcasts. Look at that. There I am. Thankfully, I hope this isn't... I hope there's no volume. Um, yeah, I've got the volume off. That's good. 
Hi, Turretin fan. Turretin fans in there. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how many people are in there. Um, but, oh, it says, <clears throat> this is fun. Comments are limited by broadcaster. I can't comment on my own show. <laughs> it's, it's grayed out. I'm not, I'm not allowed to comment on my, on my own show. Oh, 63 viewers. Only 63 viewers right now in, uh, in Twitter. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll put it someplace. I'm, I'm not sure. <clears throat> yeah, someone said hi. To which I say hi. I can't say anything else because I'm, I'm not allowed to type in my own, um, in my own channel. But that's okay. This is all new to me, folks. Uh, uh, well, you, you must not be logged in. Oh, I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, that's true. Log in. Yeah, don't have time to do that. I would, I would have to do this beforehand. So I'll just keep that there, and we'll, we'll, maybe I can pop in later and see stuff. Anyways, back to what we were saying. The TRBs. Um. <clears throat> If you want to understand why a small group of very narrow um, individuals who, as far as I can tell, um, limit their conversations and activities to a very small spectrum of things. In other words, these are not individuals that are out doing anything with Muslims or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Roman Catholics or one is Pentecostals or Unitarians or anything else. They they just sit in their little conclaves and compliment each other on just how wonderful their theology is. Um, if you want to know what the, this is all about, it, it's all about Matthew twenty four thirty six. Um, maybe about Philippians too, but I mean, I've never seen anybody uh, even start to provide uh, a meaningful criticism of of the work that I've done there. And Matthew 24, 36, extremely difficult text, said it all along. Went through the vast majority of my ministry with, with a clear recognition that when people would ask, when I'd be in churches and people would ask about Matthew 24, 36, I could tell that the people in charge were glad I was answering and they weren't. Because it's a tough text. I'm about to run out of that stuff. That's all I got left. When that when that runs out, we're done. <clears throat> um, with my throat the way it is. Um, Matthew 24, 36. Mark 13, 32. <clears throat> the text, um, the parallel text. Mainly, there's actually a textual variant between them, which is really, really interesting. But most of my comments have been focused on Matthew 24, 36, which comes up over and over and over again in apologetic situations. So, one of the, it, the text is, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father also. Now, there is a <clears throat> textual variant. Um, there are later manuscripts um, that do not have the phrase, neither the Son, uh, if I am cor uh, recalling correctly here, let me, I'm just doing this off the top of my head here. Uh, yeah, 
Well, okay. Interesting. Um, neither the sun does have is indicated to be a variant in Mark thirteen thirty two, but extremely minor. Few manuscripts, the Vulgate and uh, Unseal uh, manuscript X. So uh, there's much more of a variant in uh, Matthew twenty four thirty six, but even then. <clears throat> it seems that the original uh, text is very easily discernible. Uh, but at that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And this comes up in apologetic contexts, in debating... Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> As soon as it was known I was in chat, people were asking for book recommendations. That's <laughs> Evidently, I can. some people have a very high view of what I can multitask to do. Um, <clears throat> so, Unitarians, um, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Muslims, will all uh, raise the same, the same question, the same issue. And very often, what you have to do is you have to give an answer in 60 seconds. Now, I am not saying that every true theological answer has to be able to be squished into 60 seconds. Um, not what I'm saying. What I am saying is I often uh, debate individuals who are very sharp. And I have, over 40 years, established a standard of consistency that I seek to hold my opponents to. And so I have to be consistent myself. <clears throat> now, you can answer a question about Matthew 24, 36, in two ways. One is to seek to do so biblically. The other is to seek to give an answer based upon a systematic theology. Now, no matter who I'm debating, if they have a religious system, I am holding their religious system accountable to a biblical standard. Uh, even a Muslim. Yeah, you can do that. Um, only when dealing with an atheist or something like that do you have to go more deeply into where you get the laws of logic and, and things like that. So, for example, when I'm debating a Roman Catholic, and I quote from Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm emphasizing peace. Does the Roman Catholic gospel provide peace, or does it not? If their response is to ignore Romans 5.1 and to give me an answer based upon the magisterium, based upon the 
um, Kens and Creeds, the Council of Trent, I am going to say that those conclusions are subject to correction based upon the higher authority of the immediately inspired, ontologically unique Romans 5.1. Therefore, when I give an answer to Matthew 24.36, I have to be consistent and derive my answer from Scripture, not from confessions, creeds, other conclusions. Now, I can bring other Scripture in. Um, I can... I can say, well, we know this scripture says this, this scripture says this, this, and this scripture says this, and therefore that throws light on, on how we should understand this because the Bible's consistent with itself. They, they may or may not accept that. <clears throat> but I cannot, if I'm going to be consistent at all, start with the conclusions of my theological systems and then interpret Matthew 24, 36 in light of that. Because I've already said my theological system was derived from Scripture. And I would be contradicting myself if I did that. And so what I have said is when you look at what is said here, you you have to ask yourself the question, who is speaking here? And what people say is, well, there's only... Now, this isn't, no one ever said this to me before until the past, coming up on two years. But what you're told now is you have to engage in partitive exegesis. Oh, what does that mean? Well, um, basically what it boils down to in this context, in this situation, is you can recognize that Jesus is speaking in the incarnate state. Now, again, John 14, 28, the Father's greater than I am. What what are you going to do with that? Well, Jesus is speaking in the incarnate state. And he is talking about going back to where he was before. He is said, he is sent by the Father. He's going back into the presence of the Father. And if he'd loved me, you would have rejoiced because the Father is great enough. So that the context, the, the text itself provides the necessary context for its own interpretation. It really does. <clears throat> Most Jehovah's Witnesses and others are quoted. They don't even know what the context is. So, so there's everything right about recognizing that there are times when Jesus is speaking with specific reference to his humiliation, his having entered into human flesh. But what that ends up meaning is that people say, well, this is Jesus's human nature speaking. So the theological idea is in his divine nature, 
he knows and must of necessity because he's known in eternity past. There's perfect unity between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, he clearly knows today. The Spirit knows. Spirit knows the deep things of God. So the Son, as the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, knows, but this is just the human nature saying, I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's your theological conclusion. Um, here's the problem. And I would like all of these people who now think there's there's one school that actually thinks there is now a classical interpretation of Matthew 24, 36, which they didn't know until past a um, year and a half. <clears throat> all of you capital C confessionalist, truly reformed Baptist guys, okay? A number of months ago, when did I post this? Uh, October 14th. So, yeah, this is last year. October 14th, 2022. I, this is an article called Just Too Long for a Twitter Threat. You would think this would have been enough, but it's not. <clears throat> um, I wrote the following. Immediate context includes heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Highly exalted language connecting Jesus to the origin of God's revelation. And then the next verse mentions the coming of the Son of Man, Daniel 7. One could argue Son in 36 is to be seen as Son of Man and therefore emphasize the human nature. However, taking all three verses in context, it would, be, it would seem the coming of the Son of Man would be in reference to the divine scene in Daniel, not a delimiter pointing only to Christ's human position. Next, the conjunction of Son and Father is vitally important. Ask yourself a question. Here, here we are. For every one of you capital C confessionalists, I've, I've directed you all to this, I don't know how many times, lost track. No one has answered this question. And basically, here's my blunt statement. If you don't answer this, you're a coward. And I don't want to hear from you again. Just shut up. Just shut up. If you want to answer this, you lack integrity. Period. End of discussion. Okay? That's all there is to it. <clears throat> Ask yourself a question. If you were discussing this in face of sharp subordinationist objectors, how would you respond to this line of argumentation? So here it is. It's right in the article. I'll try to remember to link to it. Here it is. Quote, are you saying that Matthew eleven twenty seven should be understood? All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the human nature except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the human nature of Jesus, and anyone to whom the human nature of Jesus wills to reveal him? Or are you saying that you are baptized into the name singular of the Father, the human nature of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You seem to get to switch back and forth in a very convenient manner without any reference to the context of the passages we are examining. End of question. Now, I, I get it. I get it. The vast majority of you guys, you never put yourself in a position of ever talking to somebody like this. I get it. 
you, you're, you're safe and warm and cuddly in your little theological enclaves where you sit around and you, you quote John Walt Owen to each other and, and it's, it's warm and it's great. So, how are you going to answer that? If you can't answer that, you have nothing to say to me. Nothing. Nothing. Just, just move along. Go do something else. But I am saying uh, to Brother Hess, if you're going to keep... And what he does, he knows I'm blocked. I can't see his tweets. So, he will take shots like this. And I guess he thinks he's safe or something behind his little Ukrainian flag that he has on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, but I simply say to Paul Hess, if you can answer that question, you should, you should shut your Twitter account down and just go away. Go, go find something else to do. Okay? You really, really need to do that. Um, answer that question. Because the question shows where the real issues lie. On what grounds do you simplistically argue that, oh, the, the sun here is the human nature, when there are all sorts of other places in the gospel of Matthew where we're talking about the divine son and you have to come up with a consistent way of identifying what that is you've, you've got to do it and, and if you don't do it then just admit our theology here um, is determined by our theological system not by exegesis so I know London Baptist Confession of Faith chapter 1 you know, it says that we say one thing in chapter one and then we do something different someplace else. Is that really what you're going to do? Is that really what you're going to say? Good luck with that. Good luck with that. A couple other things he said real quick. Um, <clears throat> um, he says, it's interesting. He quoted John Owen. <clears throat> Listen to this. The guilt of schism lies with those Christian bodies that have departed from the apostolic model, not with the independents who have preserved the biblical pattern. Did, did, do you hear what you quoted there? Think about it for just a second. Um, if the independents are able to recognize the biblical pattern so as to engage in schism? from Christian bodies that have departed from the apostolic model. What are they doing? They're engaging in Biblicism! <laughs> Which every Baptist is, by definition. <laughs> Can't get away from it. Um, <clears throat> but, he then says, Biblicism lacks the linguistic and philosophical tools required to adequately answer and refute Arianism. After all, Arius was functionally a Biblicist. <laughs> Sola Scriptura, on the other hand, has exactly the right tools to answer and refute Arianism 
And that's what Athanasius and company did. Well, once again, we're left going, and how do you define Biblicism here? Um, <clears throat> yes, Athanasius and others did exactly that. Um, and yet, you still have to hold Athanasius to a biblical standard in many areas. He was deeply influenced by the Desert Fathers, and so there's certain aspects of his uh, anthropology and even soteriology where you would have to hold him accountable at that point and hence be a consistent biblicist. Yep, that's what you got to do. Um, one last one here. I think it's one last one. Yes. Uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses accuse Nicenes of using pagan Greek philosophy to defend the Trinity. Why, yes, they do. Open theists do the same thing with those who defend divine immutability. Um, yeah. Wasn't one of the main arguments in my debates on open theism, but <clears throat> so it should be very concerning when 1689 Jeffrey and company, that is Jeff Johnson, do the same thing in attacking classical theism. And if his argument simply was, uh, that they're using philosophical terminology and language, then that would be true. But as normal, that's not his argument. Speaking of which, speaking of which, um, we are scheduling, <clears throat> right now, it looks like a week from tomorrow, so the 4th of January, <coughs> excuse me, 4th of January, hopefully I won't sound like this by then, but man, this stuff's been hanging on a while. Um, and I know I'm not the only one. Seems like it's there's a lot of folks doing the same thing. Um, hopefully next Thursday, we will be joined by Jeffrey Johnson, and we will be talking about his new book, Mine Shipped, I think this morning or maybe yesterday. Um... It is a book I've read twice already. I, I read it last year, I believe. No, earlier this year. And then read it again on the last trip. Uh, the Revealed God. Um, Jeffrey knows he's going to be taking a huge um, amount of uh, incoming fire because he uh, differentiates between a biblical classical theism and a philosophical classical theism. Um, I think it's an absolutely necessary distinction. It's necessary for doing meaningful apologetics. You know, a lot of these people uh, who are critics today watched my debate with Sanders from, what was that, 2001 at RTS? And for most people, it was just like, man, I'm glad you're doing that, not, not us. And yay, boy, I... Great arguments, great biblical presentation. You know, now they now they would go, oh no, no, you can't 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 do that because he's 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 not where he needs to be and he's digging his heels in and blah 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 and the rest of that stuff. But I don't see you all um coming up with a functional, meaningful apologetic against open theism from your new newly discovered um philosophical foundations. 
Um, just don't see it happening. And to be honest with you, the open theists, I think, would much prefer that you would do that because it's the biblical data that is the hardest for them to deal with, not the philosophical stuff. They can, you all just sound like you're having a nice conversation over coffee at Starbucks once you start doing all the philosophy stuff. Um, but it's when you start with divine revelation that then categorizes what philosophical terminology can even mean. Um, that, that just reverses everything. And I'm very appreciative. Now, there, this is not an easy read. Um, I learned more about pseudo-Dionysus um, than I wanted to um, in, in doing this stuff. And so I'm thankful for all the time going into that. <clears throat> but there, there were influences. Aristotle wasn't the only influence upon Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> a, a massive amount of Neoplatonism got snuck in there as well. And uh, so there may be a few chapters that you thumb through uh, rather than uh, dig through deeply, depending on, on who you are. But uh, the book is shipping, and hence the pre-orders and stuff like that, uh, Revealed God, uh, we'll have him on, um, Lord willing, next Thursday uh, to talk about those issues and the book and... Uh, Hopefully, you will find all of that to be very useful. But as I said, <clears throat> um, we know we know what kind of responses are going to come. We know it. Yeah, we 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 know. Uh, you just just haven't read enough. You know, you just didn't you didn't read my favorite author on Thomas or whatever. Uh, we get it, but. I'm sure Jeffrey is more concerned about folks who start at the right places. And um, so we're going to have him on next week, and uh, I hope you're looking forward to that. I had a few other things here. <clears throat> we'll leave him for uh, next week because the, the throat's going, the voice is going, and we've been going for almost an hour and a half anyways. So, uh, so there you go. And there's only that much water left, so... There you go. That's uh, that's the end of that. And uh, again, I'm going to assume <clears throat> that um, I'm going to say thanks for watching Dividing Line, and then there's not going to be any music, and it's just going to go to the splash screen, and it'll just sort of die slowly that way. <laughs> that's that's my yep yep. Rich says yep, and I don't get it because I heard the music playing before, so you know. Um, when I when I have control of it here, we have music. Demons in all <laughs> in all caps. Demons. <laughs> Let's not give anyone anything else to uh, pick on us for. Thanks for watching the program today. We'll see you next week. Have a great New Year's. We'll see you next year. God bless. <laughs>